0: And you say, okay, what am I supposed to learn? What skills do you want me to develop? What am I supposed to pull away from it? What happens is the objectives and the life purpose that so many people are seeking starts to reveal itself because right now, everybody is looking at their futures through the lens of their current capacity, their current skills, their current everything. But when you go through adversity, you're more courageous, right? You're tougher, you're smarter, you're faster. And when you start looking out in the future to see what your purpose might be, you start to see things that were never available to you before. So not only does adversity make you stronger, but who cares? Adversity elevates your ability to perform, which elevates your perspective, which helps you see something bigger than what you could have seen the day before, right? People can't find their purpose because they're not climbing up on anything.
1: Welcome to the WFO Life Podcast. Buckle up for interviews, insights, and practical discussions, and the occasional intellectual oddity, all designed to help you master self, master craft, and accomplish any life mission. Welcome back to the WFO Life Podcast. Today we have on Eric Davis. Is he's a former U.S. Navy SEAL. Decorated veteran of the War on Terror, Eric has been recognized as one of the premier sniper instructors in the U.S. military and has served as a master training specialist at the SEAL Sniper School. Eric spent years developing, writing, and executing curriculum for SEAL teams. By leveraging his exper- expertise in development systems, structures, processes, and practices, Eric was instrumental in significantly reducing the failure rate of the Naval Special Warfare's internationally recognized sniper course. Since departing from the SEAL teams, Eric has worked in corporate performance, sales and leadership training, bringing an unprecedented amount of innovation, efficiency and structure to the domain of business and personal performance. He's got a new webinar course where Eric shares his expertise as a Navy SEAL instructor and helps apply three core lessons to life and breathing through to the next level. Eric Davis, welcome to the WFO live podcast. You sound pretty that, I'm really glad you're on that intro and that bio is pretty exciting. Uh, I know for our listeners. Welcome.
0: Yeah, thank you, Bill. And uh, thanks, Chris, for having me on really looking forward to doing this with you.
1: Yeah, sure. I'm, I've been wanting to have you on. It's such a, you know, we, we have some history together. I, I know one funny thing is I jumped out of an airplane with you one time. Of course, I was I was strapped to a, a Brazilian guy that said he was taking up uh, teaching skydiving uh, because it was a safer a safer career choice, and I thought that was interesting.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Bill, if I had a dollar for every time I caught somebody strapped to a Brazilian guy and used the story of jumping out of an airplane... <laughs>
1: come on yeah yeah come on so anyway so and and we'll get into kind of that kind of thing chris uh, you want to
2: yeah i was just gonna say eric uh, i'd be remiss if i didn't mention that we're recording this on the marine corps birthday so uh, i know uh in your early uh navy career you had a lot of uh workings with marines so on on this uh you know august occasion of the marine corps birthday do you have any good uh marine and navy stories you could share with us
0: oh my gosh uh Oh, that list would go on for a not, while. Not
2: in the R or X-rated, but just like a, you know, funny anecdote for the Marine Corps birthday uh, folks listening out there.
0: Oh, man. You know, I don't I don't know if I have a funny anecdote so much, Chris, but, but as soon as you were saying that, I just kind of, you know, I reflected back to myself as that 17-year-old kid that turned 18 in boot camp, and I became a corpsman. So, awesome. um, you know, I worked with Marines almost right away. And it was very formative for me. And the discipline and respect and rigor that I learned when I was with them, you know, I eventually went on to becoming a, a Marine reconnaissance medic as well. Um, I couldn't think of a better group of people to kind of cut my teeth and and, and be, I don't know, better, I don't know, like forged into who yeah. I became, which, I, you know, I eventually, you know, I continued on and inside of the Navy special operations and went on to the SEAL teams and everything like that. But they're just... Marines are just near and dear to me, and um, I just learned so much from them. So I have a tremendous amount of respect for them. I know there's always that healthy banter between all of us. (laughs) I thought, Chris, when the podcast started and you heard the whole SEAL intro, you'd probably take off.
2: Uh, <laughs> I, I want i want to be respectful of our guests but uh yeah, yeah so, so it's, it's kind of funny that you mentioned that uh, i was in a uh kind of a joint uh well it was a marine heavy school but it was at the time it was about 200 uh captains you know all kind of uh you know resident pme course and so we have probably at the 200 there's 15 or 20 mix of army navy air force and i remember uh, i think it was an army officer uh i asked i said so after being with us for like two or three months and this was in quantico you know marine corps country i said so what do you think you know about the marine corps so far and uh, it was actually a female army officer she said man you guys are like one brain when it comes to like most stuff and she said that wasn't a dig it's not like you can't make decisions but when it comes to holding each other accountable and calling things out as soon as it you know you see it uh so it's like maybe a backhanded compliment because you know there is a like you said i mean there's a lot of rigor and indoctrination that happens but uh you know i think even some of my friends are marine special operations and so i think even in that community you know marines are always marines you know so i think uh what you took uh, away from being with us is kind of what we feel being part of the organization too so i appreciate that
0: yeah, absolutely. Um, and that being held accountable, accountable and being called out. Uh, yeah, Marines are wonderful at that. And it's, it's such a blessing. and such a gift to get from somebody else because, man, I've spent some years of my life with not having, not having that around me since I've been out. Yeah. And I got to tell you, like, it's tough when you don't have solid dudes around you, dudes or girls, right? People around you just calling you out on your BS because, man, can we get sideways?
2: <laughs> well, and I think, it, well, and I was going to say, you know, it, if you're in an organization where uh, that becomes common, I don't think people realize that it, it becomes, it's never necessarily comfortable, but you expect it. Like if you screw something up, or, you know, if your uniform's messed up, or you say something that's completely gooned up, and then after the meeting, they're like, dude, you're all effed up. Uh, but like you said, I mean, if you're in certain settings or organizations where you can't do that uh it, it's almost toxic in a different way because you're like wow somebody should really tell him or her about that but you know in organizations like the marine corps and i know the seals are like that you know just ruthless you know eating of their own uh, so to speak when uh, you're, you're not doing what you're supposed to so there, there is power in that but if you try to do that in an organization that doesn't expect it it can be like a turd in the punch bowl So.
0: Oh, it sure can be. And you know what's so interesting is, and and we'll get to some of this later, but, you know, that's inside the book I was talking about that with kids, right? Like if kids are used to being corrected, it is no big deal. You know, I have some stories about hammering my son pretty good in cold water, and some people are, you know what I mean, things like that. People are like, "Oh, well, isn't that a bit extreme? I'm like, no, he's used to it. He's always had that. It's no, it's it's actually more comfortable. And then Bill knows this. I spent some time learning how to train dogs like Belgian Malmois and and, you know, full-on protection dogs. And you actually learn that these dogs are more at peace and more comfortable when they have left and right lateral limits, when they, when oh, they yeah. know what's expected of them. And if you don't correct them consistently, it stresses them out. And these organizations that avoid it, what's a bummer is they actually have more stress, more conflict, more pain. Then if they just embraced it. And what they don't understand is if that in, if they embrace it, they're not gonna have people feeling bad all the time. They're gonna have people feeling loved and cared for because they're getting continuous feedback. And as you mentioned, when your buddies are, when, you know, quote unquote, eat your own, eventually you're like, oh yeah, that's just how we do it. And it feels good. And I yeah, miss yeah. that, big time.
2: For sure.
1: Eric, I'd like to run down, you you mentioned brotherhood. I like that theme because that ties into how I originally came across you. Um, I don't know how I ended up on your mailing list for one of your programs, but I got these emails that spoke to me. And I remember that at that time in my life, when I started engaging with uh, your strategic training group, I guess that was part of the Habits of Hero program that you'd set up. It was a time when... uh, I didn't realize the things that I was missing and the things that I was blind to. And that was partially because I was living my life sort of as a lone ranger. You know, I have a family and things like that, but I didn't have a lot of men in my life that were holding me accountable and that were keeping me um, growing and watching for my blind spots and looking out for me. And that program that I engaged in with you, which I, I can't, was that one of your first kind of development programs that you put together or I, I don't know if it was the very first one I know we were the first group you had um, but i but I wanted to kind of go down that road and you know kind of talk a little bit about why that brotherhood and why that's something that's been a theme you've been working on uh, with uh, a lot of your programs
0: yeah, so as i you know if you bring this to the context of uh, my whole world, right? And, discovering your purpose on this planet and living it out in a way that you can help and inspire others to do the same. And we have very similar missions, right? Correct. So, as you start to look at that, like we can look across the planet, right? And it's always been very few people who are actually living a life of purpose, passion, and power. That's very uncommon, right? And right, right. we see that in men. Uh, especially, not that women don't have it, I'm just more familiar with men, right? So I'm not trying to pigeonhole it into men, but we see that in men. And where it all started, Bill, is that you probably was from the Habits of Hero ebook, um, and it talks about like the handful of mistakes men make and how to correct it. Right. And so as I was taking, and well, your audience doesn't know my history yet, but basically when I was a sniper instructor, I just learned... I learned how to really systematize performance, performance through process, and that's, what, that's where I was able to really impact the failure rate in sniper school. So I, I took that same approach, those same structure, strategies, and tactics, that same kind of fundamental formula, and I brought it into this idea of living, identifying my purpose and living it out. Right, I'd grown up wanting to do nothing but become a Navy SEAL, and then the you know is, as you know as a doctor and Chris knows as a Marine and and what we've done in life. The th- problem is once we've become what we wanted to become, it's kind of like, uh oh, that wasn't the thing. <laughs> you know what I yeah, mean? It's like part of the thing. So we end up in this pretty radical struggle. So the tribe or or brotherhood. You know, I, I use the word tribe more and more just so I'm not excluding anybody. Um, is a a critical component. You know what I mean? I'd say it's one of five major pieces that absolutely have to be present uh, for somebody to discover their purpose and live it out. And it kind of goes a couple different directions. Um, But at the end of the day, what a tribe does, like Chris was saying, bam, you have people calling you out. And then you have people who are after the same thing you are. You end up inside of this environment where your success becomes automated. And what I mean by that is if you ever hung out with people who are like, I can use the negative example, drinking and partying, and you're like, yeah, I don't really have to even think or do anything. I'm just going to be drinking or partying. Or if there's people around you who are getting to bed on time, eating a healthy diet, getting up and working out and training for a marathon or training for a Tough Mudder or whatever it is, you can just kind of like. Oh, it looks like I'm doing that. You know what I'm saying? So the, right. these people that we surround ourselves, we are told how much they impact our life. You know what I mean? It's like a cliche or a quote, but it's like, I'm like, no kidding, man. The tribe, I mean, again, it's, it's one piece of the puzzle, but of all the pieces, like that's the one thing you can just connect to and everything else might just come together for you. So that's why the tribe remains a continuous focus for me. Um, and I think it always will be as far as I can tell.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, Eric, um, you know, it's kind of, I think we both could think of a lot of different examples where, you know, you're in an organization and um, if other people weren't going through the same thing, you'd be like, holy shit, I can't can't believe we just did that and we're going to eat, take a nap and do it again or, you know, eat, take a nap and do something harder. But it's amazing how, like you, you mentioned the tribe concept, you're like, well, if he can do it and she can do it and, you know, we're all kind of in this thing together, then, you know, like you said, there's like almost like an, an inertia in in that organization, you know. And I think that applies, uh, you know, in a business world, military organization and, and, you know, like your book Raising Men that I recently read in a family. Like if you're – like I think you mentioned – You know, if your dad is, like, telling you, oh, you need to, you know, be better at sports and your dad is, uh, you know, never works out and, you know, describes at you but doesn't set the example, you know, how are your kids going to take that? You know, same thing in an organization, you know, do as I do or do as I say, not as I do. So, I mean, there's power in that, I think, setting the example in those tribes, too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I love – yeah, eat and nap and again and eat and nap and make it harder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, you look to your left, whether, you know, one of the other things I teach are flow states, the psychological states of flow, and the most obvious way to do that is to do physical activities. There's other ways, too, but like something like rock climbing, like like Dr. Bill and I did uh, in that first strategic training group. But there's also a way, too, where you look to your left and right, right? Like, okay, it looks like I can keep running. It looks like I, I can keep going without food. I can keep going without sleep. But also along with that, you could be on the face of a rock or out in the surf lineup or, or hiking, whatever it is your thing is. Those are just my activities, right?
2: But, yeah.
0: and you look at your buddy and you're like, well, if he's out here on, on the rock face or backpacking and he's got a job and kids, I can be too. You know what I right. mean?
1: Right. And then mm-hmm. with
0: the example you said with the dad, it's like, yeah, th- the reason why it doesn't work so one, there's a little bit of a respect loss, right? When, it, when, say, quote unquote, a father tells their son or child or daughter, "Hey, get in better shape," but he himself is not. So kids get it. There's like, okay, there's a little bit of a miss there. But I think what the biggest and the bigger and less obvious miss is, is, the dad's not necessarily missing how to get up and exercise. What the dad or the the example that. I find to be incredibly fascinating and so important to have a tribe of people really after things and doing things is how does he organize and structure his life so that he can make money, care for his family, care for his spirituality, care for, you know what I mean, career, everything like that, and do it in a way that doesn't deplete the time, money, and energy required for him to work out and stay fit but do it in a way that actually produces that energy and those are the, those are these subtle hidden lessons, you know what I mean, these hidden lessons that's always been missed. Right, but when our when we were growing up, our father that was a different time. So our fathers didn't necessarily need to be that high speed, low drag. They didn't necessarily have to be that good at crafting life because you basically went to a career, stayed there thirty years, came home and retired. But Mm -hmm. now it's so much more competitive, so much more dynamic. That whether it's a father, a friend, or a colleague, when we're talking about talking about somebody in our tribe, the example that needs to be set is also the production of the power required to live out the life we were supposed to live. Does that make sense, guys? I was like, kind of want a little deeper. It absolutely
1: does. In fact, I'm glad you brought up the idea of, you know, what you're describing as complexity in life. And so many people, and I know for myself, again, I'm reflecting back on our work together in your uh, strategic training group. The idea of just getting by you know, we we all reach a certain level of success. And and the guys that you brought together in our initial training group that we worked together on this content you're talking about, we learned. we learned that we all had certain levels of success in life, you know, business and sport or different things that we were involved in. But we all had our shortcomings and our pitfalls. And a lot of us felt like we were sort of just getting by in certain areas. And the other thing is, the complexity of life nowadays and the the choices that we have and the the ways that we can distract ourselves, I think are so much greater. And I know that our work with the WFO Life Podcast and the people in our tribe of that that follow our work, that theme comes up a lot. It comes up a lot in my work. That's why it echoed so much for me personally, but also I hear it all the time with my, my patients. There's just like this you know, quiet desperation people are living through and they just get lost in the forest for the trees. Can you talk some about that idea of the difference between just getting by and truly striving? What does that look like?
0: Yeah. Um, can I start with kind of the genesis of this crossing complexity thing? And can you put a pin in that particular question, Bill, and just remind me once I get done with this little riff I'm going to Please hit? do. Absolutely. Okay. So this idea of crossing complexity, I, I can, we, between the three of us, we could probably go on forever. But I, I like to share the genesis of it. So as a sniper instructor, you're shooting... At great distances. I mean, everything I'm about to explain right now applies to anything that you're trying to do in life. Um, So I hope people can listen to it. And what I found happens at about four or 500 yards, things start to feel magical to people. Like they're like, I was hitting my target and at about four or 500 yards, they're like, I'm missing and I do not know why. And I can remember the first time we brought up ballistic computers and shot sheets and what these Computers or sheets do is they basically identify all of the elements that go into the way your bullet would or would not impact the target. Yeah. And here's and here was the the breakthrough for me, Um, is not one single one of those elements isn't enough to have you miss the target. You you know what I mean? There's no big. I mean, there's obvious things like your scope was. You know what I mean? Like some big obvious mistakes. But you know when you have about 30 to 40 items that have to do with before you even let that trigger pull, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. And what people would do is they would just dismiss them because they're just casually trying to shoot a gun, whatever they can remember in their brain. And I remember with Sniper, like in Sniper Cell and with students, I'm like, no, no, this is way more complex than you understand. And the problem is what, what's going on is none of the, th- there's no one thing that would have you miss, but three, four, five of these little things put together is what's throwing your bullet off the target. You guys get what I'm saying?
2: Right. Yeah. 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 I was going to say one thing, Eric, before I forget uh, that it kind of ties in. I remember, um, you know, another shooting example, um, you know, Marines pride themselves in marksmanship, maybe not so much like a you know special operations sniper, but the fundamentals, uh, you know, and shooting with iron sights from 500 meters, especially for people who've never fired a weapon can be pretty complex, you know, getting to your point of complexity. And I remember vividly, if you're always missing low then they can help you. Or if you're always missing high or if you're shooting around the bullseye, you know, we know what fundamentals that you're not getting. But if you're missing high sometimes, low other times, shooting around the bullseye, it's very hard for an instructor. And you probably had students like this. It's like, man, if you're not consistent at something, even if you're failing at it, then it makes it really hard for us to help you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And then if we unpack that, as you know, Chris, we'd come down to, you know, body position, you know, our breathing, our diet, did the guy dip some tobacco? You know what I mean? There's Yeah, yeah, right. They don't – their physiological response. So – and then, yeah, you tell a SEAL, like, hey, dude, you're failing this course probably because you didn't pay attention to your diet or your mental me- program that you're going through in your head, you're, you're not consistent. You know, they'll get up and kick your ass. I mean, they'll – you know, yeah. they're SEALs, so they'll just get up if you,
2: yeah, yeah.
0: if you throw them too much. But what it is is – since those little things aren't big enough to have you miss the target by themselves, we just dismiss them. So when you bring this into the, the, now this all comes to the complexity of life and you'll have to restate the question, Bill, that got me started. So when I brought this into life, I was like, well, wait, I can identify all of the major elements of life. We're not that, we're not unique snowflakes like we think we are. We all share a good, you know, about a half a dozen, about a dozen or so things. And like, And then I understood that I can identify what these things are, I can make assessments, right? I can prioritize and execute these things in a certain order because when I moved into the corporate world and I was training sales teams and producing back office systems to help them sell better and more, I found the same thing. I'm like, hey, it's not some one big obvious thing. You know what I mean? You guys keep thinking it's this, that, or the other. It's a combination of these little things. It's like, Bill, soccer, right? A soccer goal is like a sequence of miracles. Absolutely. And the more complex and the more competitive the other team is, the better we have to get at identifying what all those little miracles are and just putting them together. And that's where the whole crossing complexity thing came from is you have to cross complexity into mastery to hit your target at great distances. You have to cross complexity to mastery to hit any target inside of a competitive and dynamic environment.
1: And let me let me break this down further cuz this was a very big component of the work that we did and I remember it was a as a point that we spent a lot of time as a, as a small group when when we talk about life's complexities you know people sort of get up they go to work and they think okay that's simple I'm just going to work and then at the end of the day some people feel like just wound up burnout because they had so many things it felt like the day was out of control the complexity that uh, that that I think you're talking about Eric was what if things I recall would be so many things on our plate that are left undone so many things that we have that we've accepted into our lives that we don't have a plan for or that we didn't account for and I know we spent a lot of time in our training going through very very deep dives into certain parts of our lives like our relationships like our work like our purpose and what we want to do and and I remember you know, as I worked through your material, I remember thinking that, wow, this is so detailed. This is so, it's so difficult. And some of these areas I'd rather just avoid. And the problem, (laughs) but the problem with that is when you avoid it, it's sort of like, it's an, it's an energy that you carry with you. You know, something is unresolved, it's unclear. And it, and it sort of nags at your energy all the time. And I, I knew that was one of the things, you know, I was reflecting before this interview and things that I learned from you, and it was that you, we have to be very clear and purposeful about what we're doing. And if you wake up every morning and you're sort of reacting to the world, um, there's so many variables you're going to miss uh, that your performance suffers. And, and not only can you be, you might reach a certain level of success just on sheer ability, smarts, or luck. But to go beyond that, that's the next level. That's kind of the stuff you're teaching.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So same with the shooting. You can go out and shoot and practice and kind of do your thing. And you're gonna get to about four or 500 yards. And the same in life. You can go out and do your thing and maybe you'll get to where you make enough money and you've earned and saved and invested enough to live a life and possibly retire. Um, But chances are, even people who get across that finish line, which is just a small percentage of the population, by the way, they're going to come across beaten, haggard relationships, um, sad, depressed, fat, unhappy, you know what I mean, you name it, Mm -hmm. Um, because they're missing these other things. And, you know, so why, why would we? So if we sat down and said, okay, hey, let's make a list of the things that actually impact your ability to live a good life and I had you make an assessment of them, right? And you you marked off some things as like, yeah, these things are just, these things are dead and broken. The the only reason we would avoid them is because we don't have the time, money, energy, or creativity required to address them. And this is the secret, I believe, to superhuman levels of performance, to ultra high levels of performance, is this very thing I'm talking about right now. Because what we'll do is we'll look at an area of, of our life and if we're like, okay, if I'm going to tackle that, it's going to cost me. It's going to cost my power. Again, which I define as deployable time, money, energy, and creativity. Right. And that's why we're going to avoid it. So one of the things I realized coming out of the teams and now being like this former SEAL turned, you know, training people in life or business and what I think me, distinguishes me from any other professional who comes out and starts to share their background is I'm recognizing that where I learned my skills it was a, like a socialist system. I was paid to do it full time. Like right. I had all, the, I remember working with LAPD SWAT and they're like, dude, you're like Yoda, how did you learn all this? I'm like, I'm not <laughs> that smart, dude. I've mm. been doing this eight hours a day for the past five years. So yeah. there's a kind of a flaw, right? When, when, when we come out of a background like that and say, hey, let me teach you guys how to perform like I performed. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Remember, we got to learn as a full time job. Right. So let me loop this back to the power thing. So the reason why we avoid it and the reason why so many people get stuck and the reason why so many people access like personal development or anything like that, because they're watching this person who seems like they've done these incredible things. But what's missing is the power that they need to tackle that thing that they've been avoiding. So it's incredibly important that we don't react. You can't just dive in when you find something wrong. That's why I use that member bill, that life mission map, that online map where I'm keeping track of everything. It's like a status board. And I gotta make sure that if I'm gonna deploy some power, time, money, energy, and creativity into one domain that I need to do it in a way that not only gets that thing handled but gets several other things handled and it's gonna produce a return on my investment of time, money, energy and creativity. You get, you guys get what I'm saying? And that's why people yeah. avoid it because they think they're going to lose something. It's like, no, we're going to put another sail on our ship and we're going to hoist that thing. And when that thing's up, it's going to give us more headway than the time and energy it took to get it. And we're going to lift the anchors, right? These things that are red or broken that we're just avoiding. It's not that we're just avoiding them and they're, just this crusty thing on the deck of the ship, like you said, Bill. They're pulling energy. They're pulling creativity. They're pulling money. They're they're hurting us. It's like we have people are going around with several anchors in the water.
1: Oh and yeah. They're,
0: they're not pulling them up, nor are they hoisting new sails, and that's why again we're dead, tired, it, and purposeless. It,
2: it, yeah, you know, Eric. You know, we talked earlier about you know, the organizations that we worked in that were you know, ruthless about, um, you know, calling you out for not meeting the mark. But I think something that you have, you know, touched on the edges, uh, is more, and you talked about the, you know, having a a dashboard, you know, kind of look at for your life. And I think that when I've looked at some of the most successful people I've seen in the Marine Corps, um, they're also ruthless at self-evaluation in a good way. And to the point I, you know, especially it's like, I, I work a lot with fighter pilots and, you know, it can be a notoriously hard community, you know, arguably harder than seals to deal with, uh, personalities and egos. But uh, one of the things I've seen a lot of my friends, you know, that I've become close friends with that are fighter pilots. I mean, they almost look at, each day binary, like ones and zeros, like did I win today or did I lose today? You know, and what is, what are my criteria – for winning the day or losing the day. And so, you know, Bill and I have tried to tease out, you know, some habits of, of high performing people or habits that have worked well for us about that. It's like, you know, how do you even know if you had a good day or a bad day? It's not, it shouldn't be about feeling. It's like, did I work out? Did I pray? Did I spend time with my family? Did I get my work done? Did I, you know, so I think that, you know, some of the stuff you're t- touching upon about just knowing, uh, the direction that you're going and having some type of structure, or some type of map, uh, Uh, and a lot of people don't even have a map, you know? So it's like, how are you ever going to get to a destination if you don't have a map? And I don't think people see that in their own lives as much as they should.
0: I agree. And, and people don't, and I think where that comes from, Chris, is they don't, they don't recognize again, Hey, an online map with the, the fundamentals, you know, of the items that make up life. One small, you know, one thing like, you know, how is that going to make the difference? I'm like, well, maybe that thing by itself ain't going to, but the thousand of little, thousands of little data points in there put yeah. together, that's what's gonna do it. And it's funny, you know, when I teach this to people, they seem to get it pretty quick, but I'm like, if you were gonna make a doghouse, you know, that'd be a tough one to do without a simple blueprint. <laughs> yeah. Now, take it up to a computer. It was I, at the, when I first started in corporations, like, Eric, you made this thing too complex, and my jaw would just drop and I'm like, what? What are you talking about? And I didn't get it at the time. But now I would explain it like this. If So I use a MacBook Pro, and I'm sure Apple has some sort of schematics of what's inside of this thing. Could you could you just imagine, like, how much square footage would it take to print that out? It's got to be huge. Yeah. And that's no for doubt. a simple computer. And no doubt. it's infinitely more complex to live a good life of purpose and passion than it is to build a computer. And that's... I think it's funny so that you know i'm like when i explain that to people they tend to get it so when i bust out these maps and say okay well here are the major elements and then guess what here are the sub elements and the practices and how it impacts you it it starts to open up but it's not infinite and they're like Mm -hmm. oh didn't you make life too complicated and i'm like no i didn't make it complicated all i did was identify the complexity that was already there and now it's pretty simple because we can see this thing like you said You know the jungle is not super complicated if you have a really good map and a GPS. It's like okay, kind of it really gets simple. But the complexity that went into producing that map and GPS took a little bit more than hanging around with your buddies, drinking beer, talking about (laughs) getting through life.
1: Right, yeah, for sure. I'm glad you brought up that part about the map and how. You know we went through that in great detail and and there were areas that when you you look at like your physical health could fall under one of those fundamental categories or your spiritual life or uh, maybe your family relationships and things like that these are just a few of those ideas what was interesting about that is just like you said i'm glad you said that it's the complexity is already there and i i kind of bought that early on when you mentioned that to me the first time is like look you know, I kind of felt like, wow, it's a lot of work to try to sort through all these issues and these fundamental areas of my life, but they're already there and I'm already juggling them. And there are so many people that are just, they're just asleep at the wheel. And, and that's, I see this every day with my patients that are struggling with life events and things that are happening and they're completely lost because they didn't spend a little bit of time uh, doing so, which it's kind of a side note of this. We talk a lot about margin. I know Chris and I have had whole episodes on the concept of margin. And I and I imagine this probably came from some of your uh, work. Um, but the idea that sometimes we have so many things going on that we don't have time to pay attention. We don't have time to even reflect on where we are, or what we're doing. And, you know, are we going the right direction? Are we even, you know, spending time on what we should? So we end up going through the fundamental, without a map, like you said, we go through these fundamental things in our lives and we just, it's like whack-a-mole. Oh, that's a problem today, that's a problem tomorrow. And I know for good chunks of my life, I could be very directed at certain things. You know, uh, my professional life, I've got to jump through this hoop, I've got to achieve this, I've got to start that. And I I could do all that just through sheer pinpoint goal setting. But when you start looking at how complex a life is, you know now i have i have daughters i have one that's married and they have relationships and how do i interact with them and and what about this and what about that all these different aspects of my life are so complex and i i feel for the folks that i interview and i and i work with in my clinic that i can see that they're struggling and drowning in that complexity so i how do you get people convinced to build enough margin in their lives where they can reflect on these things.
0: Ooh, to convince someone to build enough margin. So uh, one one of the reasons I left corporate consulting and just have this full-time, my membership site in the course is uh, so that I don't have to get anyone because <laughs> that, now I can show them, you, you know what I mean? Now, yeah. here's how I would show somebody so, like, when people quit my membership, right, it is always because of time or money. And I'm like, yeah. oh, man, what part of building power, time, money, energy, creativity, did you miss? And, and they never engage in the content. And they're like, oh, yeah, I don't have the time or money. And I'm like, you, you never will. You, never, right. you will always live like that. If you just did, like, the first assignment, you know, maybe assignments one through two and got, got themselves through the map. What somebody would learn is, you know where a lot of margins come from, Bill? They come from cutting things out.
1: Right, exactly.
0: When I first showed this map to someone, it was to a very professional, very intelligent lady. And she's like, well, I always felt like I had to learn a language. But we had already gone through the map and she had some family stuff in red, some things in red that were like important. You know, like, wow, you know, that we don't want to, if that, if your family should continue on that trajectory, that would be a problem. <laughs> so right, I'm like, yeah. now, looking at in this context, do you think learning a language, I'm not telling people not to learn a language, but for her, she th- just felt that she should. It was like a status thing or an education thing. I'm like, does it make any sense to spend time le- learning a language? And the answer was an adamant no. So this idea of crossing complexity, the first thing you do once you get inventory of anything, just like when you have a map, all of a sudden, all of the 10 trailheads that are around you go extinct. Because now that you have a map, and a GPS, right? You, you know where you're at. You know where you want to go. It's like, wow, I can shed all of those options that I was chasing. My, you know, right. <laughs> spinning right. around the trail. Should I do this? It's like, boom, it's gone. So I, the only way I could convince someone would maybe just be to show them and be like, you can have an instant return on your time and energy just after this assignment. Assignment, We can get you 20 to 30% more margin in your life just by feeling. And I'm not talking about cutting things, doing the hard nose. I'm talking about doing a little work, digging in a little bit, and being like, those aren't hard no's to make, those are easy. Because those mean the difference between life or death for my daughter. Those mean the difference between life or death for my health, you know what I mean? And when you you go into the map that way, and you make it real, saying no is easy. Matter of fact, when somebody asks you something, you know what I mean? You're like, are you trying to kill me? I, said, I mean, I used to be pretty rigorous. Like, what are you trying <laughs> to kill me? You're trying to break. You don't want me to live out my purpose. And he's like, I, I just wanted to go to lunch. Are you kidding, you know?
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, well, I, yeah. Well, I was going to say the funny thing, Eric, uh, I know for me personally, and I think Bill and I probably talked about this before, but uh, I think prioritization helps with that too, right? I mean, because some people, especially now in, in living in this distracted world that we're in, Something as simple as going to bed earlier and getting up earlier and doing, like, one important thing can mean the difference, right? I mean, that can build, you know, enough margin where you can exercise or you can have, you know, mindfulness time. But a lot of people stay up jacking around on Facebook for no reason when they're sitting in bed, you know, next to their spouse when they could be, you know – If they're going to be staying up, at least be spending time with your family, not jacking around in a virtual world. So I know for me, uh, when I, I think, became a a little bit older, a little bit more mindful of how I was spending my time, I was like, well, you know, I mean, I'm not going, you know, getting up at 4.30 uh, every morning, uh, you know, like some folks uh, posting their watches on the Internet, you know, uh, to make a joke joke (laughs) there. Uh, uh, I'm sure we all know and like him, but uh, no, it's just – just the fact of like, hey, I don't need to go to bed at midnight. You know, I can get all the things I, I need to done and go to bed at 1030 and wake up early and work out and be better for my family and be better for my health and my job. But a lot of people just, uh, you know, whether it comes from not having a plan or just not prioritizing it, you know, they're going to you know, grind themselves into an early grave, you know, by not doing things, you know, 100 percent under their control, which is sad. And I know Bill sees it every, you know, every day with patients of his. So.
0: Yeah, abs- absolutely. So when I take people through this, uh, there's several structures we use, but they'll culminate, end up in what I call an ultimate calendar. So on their calendar, they're gonna end up with a bedtime routine. But the thing is, the bedtime routine is a part of the puzzle. Like yep. several different elements of their life had fed into that. And by the time this thing gets on their calendar, they're like 8.45, 9 o'clock, whatever the time is, mm-hmm. they're like, I'm going to bed, not because I ought to, you know what I mean? But they're like, yeah. because it, co- it connects me to these other strategies, and if these strategies go unfulfilled, I'm going to live a poor life. And something else on prioritization, j- like j- on my way there, is if, if people ever wonder why, like why does it seem like some people have all these hours in their day and they're accomplishing, you know what I mean? When you hear the yeah. bios on podcasts and different things like that, you're like, how the heck did this person <laughs> – right. You know, Like, what is going on? And I'm like, I feel like I could barely keep up. And the reason why is what people do is they prioritize by importance rather than power. And Mm. this is a key, another, this is a critical component of producing. Again, if we're gonna do something, we have to produce more power than we put out. And really the genesis of it is how we prioritize. So when I take somebody into this map, they're like looking at this thing, they have red things on their map. Red means broken. I'm like, okay, you cannot handle all of those things At once. That's just balance is BS. You can't have balance. We can harmonize, like we can, you know what I mean? But you can't take care of them all at one time. It's too many things. So what I teach them is to prioritize by power. So a lot of guys fall into the trap of saying, well, family comes first. And really, that's just an excuse um, so that they don't have to make more money or do anything uncomfortable. So they're like, well, I have to be home for my, you know, they they over-index there. Right. um, Not to say that we don't need to be around, but it's like, you don't need to be sitting on your phone, watching TV, drinking a beer for that many hours with your kids, you could probably (laughs) cut. (laughs) We could probably cut some of that family time. But (laughs) here's the thing, when you prioritize for power, there's two specific things that are completely critical. First, you pick something that's gonna produce a positive ripple into the other parts of your life. So if I'm looking at like my ability to perform, I'm gonna look at all of the elements of that, like okay, what is the one thing that if I got handled is gonna help as many other parts of my life as possible. And then second, I'm gonna sound like a broken record, but what would also quickly produce more power, which is again, time, and energy, and creativity, than the action itself took. You see, so if we prioritize by not by what's important, because what if we prioritize by power, we might put time and energy and focus in our career, and we yep. might over-index that way for a little while, we might even take some time away from our family, but if we could do that for maybe say a year, Or even two, shoot, if we can do that for a chunk of time, it's like, man, if we do this, then I will have the very time, I'll have the resources and all of the things that will allow me, I'll have some time to spend with my friends, we'll be able to do whatever it is, the very resources that will allow me to produce the most precious and elusive part of family, which is to remain present. You know what I mean? So yeah. I agree with you, Chris. Prioritization is key. But we and, and if we can drill down on prioritization, if we did nothing else but help people, prior the dang, if they just wrote a list of what mattered to them in life, and I said now prioritize by power rather than importance, and then they step that down to some action steps, boy, we could change the world just with that.
2: Yeah, no doubt. Uh, one of the things before I forget, because I think we had this shared experience a little bit of you know, instructing in a military MOS producing school. And so, like you said, I mean, when that's your sole goal in life, I mean, one, you become good at that content and that activity. But I think more importantly, I know you changed a lot of the curriculum, obviously in the sniper school, uh, which was kind of underperforming and, and I guess being more of a filter and not a pump, you know, to use some of the terminology that, you know, we like to, in the you know, military schools, but to be able to pump those people out, that the fleet was expecting you know similar to i was uh you know writing curriculum is tough anyway and then in this uh you know like you were saying like a socialist system if you will like very hard to change so i mean i think some of those strategies you probably used uh in dealing with that complexity and overcoming you know that inertia that was against you would would be important to learn from so like what were some key things i mean i'm assuming it wasn't easy just to rewrite the sniper curriculum right
0: yeah, so I mean, first, there's obviously a team of instructors that were, you know, appointed at the same goal. I just sure. say I'm the one who did it because they're not here to say they were too. So, <laughs> uh, why not? <laughs> um, so there was already buy in. Mm-hmm. Um, the failure rate <sighs> here's the thing like, everything. We were all doing, but I'm going to keep saying I was doing because I I did have a particular niche here of, sure. of this piece of systematizing. Yeah, was it's effective? I, I you know what I yeah. mean? It's hard oh, to yeah. argue effective.
2: A- absolutely.
0: Yeah. So I, I remember, um, some guys had failed, and the master chief yelled at me like, "Davis, get those guys on the range." And I was like, "No, they don't need to go onto the range and do." repeat the failures they just made you know what I mean we literally like we have to sit under a tree and just ponder (laughs) yeah
2: yeah 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 yeah. I, I know what you're saying for sure yeah
0: but he allowed it because it was effective um Now, in corporations, I've ran into some things where they're like, hey, we want to make a change. We want systems and processes. We want to bring on, like I was in the financial world, we want to bring on financial advisors. You know, we're telling these people that they can make, you know, a lot of money, but really, we don't pay them anything and we don't really have a good training. You know what I mean? Like, we need something. And so, that could be tough. So, I've been in culture change situations and that's, again, why I've left corporations um, because there will be fatigue." Um, but if we're, if somebody's like, I need to do culture change and bring kind of structures and strategies in there and make an impact, what I would say is keep those numbers up front and center. Like you gotta see those key performance indicators and um, because you can't ar- argue with analytics.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that's uh, that's a great lesson for a lot of different things. Like if you have done the work and you know you can have results Uh, even if they don't necessarily like the way you're going about it, if you can prove that you're effective, whether it's an organization or whether it's your family, you know, if you start saying, hey, every Saturday we're going to get up early and go hike in the woods and everybody's like, oh, God, you know, and then after the first couple times the kids are like, hey, dad, you know, where are we going to go to next week? And, you know, everybody has a better attitude when they start Monday morning than mom or one of the other older kids, you know, is probably not going to gripe as much because they're going to say, hey, you know, that actually was was a good time. And, you know, I feel better about us and our family. So it can be family, military, job. And so I think that's what's the cool thing about, um, you know, sharing concepts and, you know, career stories like you have, it's like, Hey, I think uh, too often people hear from us military types and they're like, Oh, sure. I mean, you just like give people orders and they do it. Right. I mean, that's, so that's how you can get stuff done. It's like, well, uh, that, that, yeah, you can put people in jail if they talk back to you and refuse to, to train, but that's really not the case. You know, there's, uh, it's not as robotic as people think. So I think sharing some of these lessons, you know, I, I know that we've learned uh, in a lot of cases the very hard way uh, can help a lot of people. So thanks for, for sharing that, uh, you know, success because numbers do matter.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, I remember teaching some neighbor kids how to sw- swim. And the, I think the mom was like, I, I can't believe how gentle – you are, you know, they have their yeah, kids yeah. To learn to s- s- swim from a Navy SEAL. And she's like, I can't believe how gentle and patient. And here's the thing about high performance. Um, so, like, as you know, Chris, you're not going to get high performance th- out through being robotic. You know what I mean? And, yeah, and, and, absolutely and just not. hardcore. You got to be flexible and pivot. Um, and I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I train snipers. I train... People to perform at the highest human levels, you know, and mm-hmm. some would consider the highest human levels are like, yeah, but aren't? Now, so I always get frustrated on the movies when they portray like SEAL instructors as like, blah, blah. I'm like, that is not how that works because it's yeah, not yeah, effective.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah, uh, people think like, you know, they see you know Full Metal Jacket or they see see like Bud's videos and it's like. Buds is not the rest of your SEAL career. You know, Full Metal Jacket is not the entire rest of your Marine Corps career. You know, I think that's why people get, you know, stuck on the sexy stuff that, you know, uh, plants a seed. But it's like, hey, the rest of it is more of the slowest, smooth, smoothest, fast. You know, what do I need to help you to, to be successful? And so I think, you know, writing books and doing podcasts like this, I, I think, give people like a little more insight into what it's really like. So that's cool.
0: Absolutely. I agree.
2: Hey, Eric, since our
1: time together, uh, I wanted to sh- uh, sh- like shift gears a little bit. You wrote a book from the last time we spent a lot of time together, and it was on raising men. What what was the you know, gen- you know what what triggered that, and and how did you get started on that project? Oh, I'd say what. Uh, so here's the thing
0: with seals writing books, right? <laughs> is just about every seal I know is like. Oh yeah, this is awesome. My resume, pictures for my wall, write a book. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so here's the thing. I don't know anybody in the military that is not there because they saw, read a book. They either read a book or saw a movie or did both. At, like ad nauseum. You know what I mean? Before right. you got there. So, like anybody else who watched those movies and read those books. Like one of my favorite books in the world is Force Recon Diaries, um, which is a Marine Corps um, book. Mm -hmm. that thing fired me up like nobody's business so when I was in the SEAL teams I just thought I was a very young parent and I was like man I have some unique parenting experiences and some unique parenting kind of mindsets and strategies and tactics that I use with my kid that I think other people would be interested in and I and I liked the idea because I'm like well this isn't necessarily about war stories which there's absolutely nothing wrong with telling war stories in a book because they're not your stories, they're the public stories, so we should write them in a book and share them with the world. But I just thought, man, what a different perspective. And then, you know, I'm at airports on my way out to Africa on my daughter's birthday, and it's like I'm missing another birthday. I'm I'm gone all the time, everything like that. And I just, um, I just thought it would be useful to people, to be honest with you. I was like, I was using things that I was learning in SEAL training with my kids, and I just thought it important to share.
2: Yeah, I really like the stuff you said about um, that. That seemed counterintuitive. Honestly, I think unless you take a you know hard look at it, you know dealing with bullies. And, you know, the the controversy about the participation trophies, which, you know, you talk about that there is some merit in kind of rewarding people for showing up to do hard things. You know, it's not like, you know, how it's always portrayed. It's like, oh, well, if I didn't earn it, well, it's like, well, you know, if you're like my daughter uh, is a very competitive wrestler. You know, and so if you take a bunch of five and six year olds, they're getting their face pushed in the canvas for you know 15 minutes. <laughs> it's like if you if you don't you know re, I mean reward them in in some way for showing up and competing, then um, it's going to be tough to incentivize that. So I think uh, yeah, I mean I, I love the the lessons you shared in there, and I have two girls and one boy, 12, 10, and 8. And uh, you know, any parent who thinks, even if your kids are successful, it's like if you think you've got it figured out, figured out, you know, to a T, and can't get any help from other people's, you know, successes and struggles, then uh, you got some problems. So I really like that you, you know, spun SEAL training into, I uh, mean, you know, raising men in that case, and then, uh, so yeah, that was that was that was great. A lot of good lessons in there.
0: Yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, the mm. participation trophy is near and dear to my heart, and it's. Um, if people haven't read it, I think there's a book called "Don't Shoot the Dog." Have you ever spent time around like high level dog trainers? These people are amazing. They have spreadsheets on oh, yeah. what level of reward something is for their dog. Like a treat is equals to five. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, oh my gosh, if we did that for our kids, this would be this would be amazing. But I have such tremendous respect. Um, a girl I used to work with Megan Carnes. I think she runs something, I think it's called the Collard Scholar, and mm. she's just instrumental in me learning these things. But like a participation trophy, the reason you reward any biological thing, I, 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 I will compare dogs to kids, but I'll just say anything that's biological, is yeah. you're basically giving something to the biological mass that will have them repeat the behavior. So a participation trophy, if people understood it, would probably recognize it as a way to have the kid come back so that mm-hmm. they can enter into greater challenges and receive greater rewards. And then, of course, if you re- if you just like if you gave a dog a treat every 10 seconds all day, that would no longer be a treat. It would just be something you're sticking <laughs> in its mouth. So behavior science is a big one. And just while I'm on that topic, I always love to tell parents punishment should not fit the crime. That is the most, Mm -hmm, if you look at that from everyone, I've said it before, you know, know, don't freak out everybody, but it's like Mm -hmm. punishment should fit the desired behavior. Um, So you see that with parents like, oh, you stayed up too late playing Xbox. I'm taking away your Xbox. Like, I don't, maybe, Uh, maybe that's going to do it. Or, you know, I just find that the, the, uh, uh, an an ineffective punishment, I think is one of the most inhumane things to do to somebody. It's so frustrating. No doubt. You lose a lot of (laughs) respect.
2: Yeah, you see that with em- you see that with employees too. I know I worked in a you know kind of a corporate world before I came in the Marine Corps, which was an an odd uh, you know story in and of itself. But but yeah, I mean, how often do organizations not set up the right carrots and sticks, and then they wonder why they're not getting the results right? Same thing with kids. Oh yeah, all they got to do is just. Go
0: train a dog, or or read read the book. Don't shoot the dog, and you're they got they'll have it. It's not yeah. it's not rocket surgery. It's just table no, science. No
1: you know, I've been coaching for many years, and mostly on the female side of soccer, uh, probably from ages of you know five, six, seven years old, all the way up to nineteen year olds, and uh, even coached some you know professional men uh, for a year or so. Um, and one of the things that I've noticed over the years is when you're trying to instruct, teach, and lead people, <clears throat> there, there are times when the, the stick, so to speak, um, is effective. But what I'm, what I'm noticing the longer I've been in coaching is that I, I find that I almost never want to use it because I'm seeing so much success simply being positive and supportive of the people That I'm coaching and leading, and I've noticed that, especially for the female players, I get so much more effort and buy-in from them because they're willing to do something because I'm giving them positive information. I'm telling them what they're doing right. I I definitely have to correct certain things, but I think there's so much negativity currently in the world. I I know I've talked about this before, Chris. You know, and I've talked about this concept that everyone right now is bombarded with information, and a great portion of it is negative. And there's and, and youth and teenagers in particular are very affected by that. And it's something that uh, you know I don't know if you you know, have any thoughts on this, but the idea of positive reinforcement, not not Pollyanna t- telling people that everything they do is good. But definitely approaching everything with a seventy or you know I you know maybe Pareto principle eighty percent positive twenty percent negative. Um, I I find that that is something I've refined in my own coaching strategies that seems to work. Have you found that to be true with the folks you've worked with, and certainly with your kids?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So inside of behavior science, there's four quadrants, right? Positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, positive punishment, negative punishment. And I actually don't like those words. I like positive encouragement, negative encouragement, po- you know, positive discouragement, negative discouragement, you know what I mean? Like, those are the four, and I won't go into all four right now, anyone, they, you can Google them, but here's what I would say. So first, on the, on the positive punishment stuff, the stick, positive or negative, you know, on the punishment side, um, th- what people are doing is it's a, it's a quicker response typically, but the problem is you're using force, and what happens as soon as you take away that force? Is the behavior returns so it's actually more costly in the long run um, positive reinforcement what I learned from training dogs and I cannot claim to be a behavior science expert um, but dang have I talked to a bunch of them so I think I can t- I think I'll do them proud right now <laughs> uh, again Megan Carnes um, she helped me understand that pure positive reinforcement is not necessarily a good thing and with you know if you've ever been around a Belgian Malinois, those dogs are spun and if they get to thinking they're going to get a reward for everything, they, I watched it. She's like, it can produce anxiety because this dog, this biological being is trying to get this thing over and over again and you simply just can't continuously reward it over (laughs) and over it again. Um, So what I walked, if that, let me, you guys let me know if that doesn't make sense when I finish this part, but what I walked away from my experience with her is not even, I wouldn't even say the 80-20 principle, Bill. I think that's a good start. But one of the things I learned with as a sniper instructor is I always had this thing where I'd say, watch the human. And then when I became a coach and everything like that inside the corporate world, boy, if you were looking at me right now, you know I mean? I'd ask, and I know you get this. Uh, this was when I started consulting inside the medical world, Bill. I'm sure patients tell you, like, yes, doctor, I did the physical therapy. I ate the diet. I hydrated and I took the medicine. And And you're looking at them say it but you see their head shaking back and forth, like saying no. Right. <laughs> so the problem is, is we don't um, get to see what's really going on. Um, so you got to watch the human, and then the re- whether it's punishment or reward. Yes, reward is more effective. Reward lasts longer. But you got to tune your program to the actual behavior that you can see. Not that so, the reason I'm saying you, dogs they can't speak. You know what I mean? So they either sat or they didn't. You know what I mean? They either healed or they didn't. They either bit that person or they didn't. Um, So, again, just while on the topic, any human being that has to do, has any interest in being an impact in the life of anything read a book on behavior science and I would recommend a dog training type book because it is radical, especially for parents. If if there was going to be one mandatory thing for parents, could you imagine if parents no longer were misusing punishment like carrots and sticks, like how much less money we'd spend on counseling and all kinds of things because yeah, boy do absolutely. parents just wreck a kid
2: well i was gonna say eric and, and you know i know people joke about it uh, as a couple either married or not say you know we'll, we'll have a dog together before we have kids but i would suggest if like i have a rhodesian ridgeback uh, which is an awesome dog but they're notorious they like if you are too harsh uh in correcting them smart uh, you know big, you know, potentially aggressive dogs, they'll just shut you off. You know, they're like, okay, if you're going to treat me like this, I don't trust you, you know? And I think, like you said, kids, I think are the same way, right? If you're going to, you know, bite my head off every time I try to do something, then I'll just be, uh, you know, I'll, I'll go internal, You know, and I'll I'll be thinking all different types of things and doing things when you're not looking that I know I won't get caught for, but I won't actually correct the behavior because, uh, you know, when you have intelligent dogs, intelligent children, you know, they're going to be, you know, interpreting the things uh, in a way that might not be, uh, you know, what you intend, you know, to correct the behavior. So, you know, I would say. Get a, get a smart uh, dog uh, that can be stubborn and maybe uh, train that before you have a kid. And hopefully that will teach you a lot of painful lessons, you know.
0: Oh, oh yeah. It will teach you a ton. And, and you know, the severity of correction, too, as you guys know, constant correction, it just doesn't take a lot. Uh, like I have – yeah. they call them e-callers now, but they're a shock caller. I don't know – you know, I understand why yeah. they're calling them e-callers. But if you see me use one on my Malinois, her response is – the almost an imperceptible <laughs> shake of her head, yeah. it, you know what I mean? Cause she's corrected so strategically and so often it just doesn't take, it's just like a, a kid that's been parented. Well, you could just yeah. be like, Hey, and they're like, Oh, okay. Yep. Got it done. Sorry. I was getting <laughs> offline. so much easier when you do it on the regular.
2: Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I, before I forget, uh, I think one thing I, I skipped over that I wanted to ask you just in general, I know you talked about it in your raising men book, but, um, you know, why is it, I guess, good to seek, seek out adversity, you know, what, what, um, and you can talk about it with, you know, rearing children or just in general, you know, why should people, even if you're like a middle-aged guy or girl, like wh- why, why, do, why as humans do we, whether we need it or not, uh, you know, I guess, uh, uh, do well with adversity if we overcome it I guess
0: yeah so it's actually the only article I've ever written I think that went into an actual print newspaper so I have an article mm. I forget what the heck it's called but it's something about traveling through adversity or uh, it's some clever title hopefully to have people read it but it's, it's yeah. somewhere <laughs> out there yeah so here's so here's the thing with adversity. So the first thing is I'll give you like the metaphor or the analogy. I always get too confused. If you look at a challenge in your life like an obstacle course, obstacle yep. course like SEAL training you use you do an obstacle, you're timed on your obstacle course and you do it constantly. And I remember every time I got off that obstacle course, I got a little faster, a little more skilled. I I I, I distinctly remember always feeling a little tougher. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, because you're getting banged up, I'm like, man, I feel a little tougher too.
2: Yeah.
0: And so if adversity if, if adversity is an obstacle course, and an obstacle course is de- designed to build skill, confidence, courage, you know, tenacity, toughness, what would happen if you just ran around the obstacle course? You, yeah,
2: you, you would develop get nothing.
0: <laughs> like right, you you develop nothing. Yep. So you see parents, you know, you see spoiled kids and parents doing that for their kids too. There's a book, there's a cool book, I think from a Stanford professor, but it's like if you lift your kid up and over obstacles or up and over the whole course, you'll have given them nothing. They need skill, tenacity, courage, confidence. They need those things in life. So you're actually neutering them. And we see parents do it all the time. Now that's one problem. The other problem, we do it to ourselves. There's actually a saying that says to overcome adversity. Like, you know what I mean? I'm like, what? Yeah. No, you go right through it. So I'm, I'm a Christian, I have a spiritual background, so I can only speak to it from the way I think about it. But everybody can fill in, if I say God, everyone can fill it in with the universe or whatever woo-woo thing they'd like to replace <laughs> um, so they don't have mm-hmm. to be held accountable to anything. But yeah. it, it, it doesn't it make sense? And there's there's scripture, right? Count it all joy. Count I forget, I should memorize these things, but all troubles or adversity, you count it all joy, my brothers, right? Because you're developing right. endurance and there's, there's a whole bunch of better stuff in there that I'm not repeating well. But that's what life is. So there was a, a couple years ago, I bumped into this. I bumped into different adversities. Boy, I jumped off, started a whole new business, hit COVID, like right six months into it, there's all of these things. But it was no big deal to me Because when I bump into something that I just look to God, or you can tell out the universe, and it's like, what is the lesson you're wanting me to learn? What's the obstacle course? And then what happens is I get stronger. I get faster. I get more skilled. I get more tenacious. And then here's the thing. When you go through adversity and you allow yourself, you submit to it and you say, okay, what am I supposed to learn? What skills do you want me to develop? What am I supposed to pull away from it? What happens is the objectives and the life purpose that so many people are seeking starts to reveal itself because right now everybody is looking at their futures through the lens of their current capacity, their current skills, their current everything. But when you go through adversity, you're more courageous, right? You're tougher, you're smarter, you're faster. And when you start looking out in the future to see what your purpose might be, you start to see things that were never available to you before. So not only does adversity make you stronger, but who cares? Adversity elevates your ability to perform, which elevates your perspective, which helps you see something bigger than what you could have seen the day before, right? You, yeah, people yeah. can't find their purpose because they're not climbing up on anything.
2: Yeah, that, that's powerful because too many people, I think, seek comfort. You know, I, I cringe when I hear that one of the top jobs that kids strive for is to be like a YouTube influencer. You know, to like open toys on the Internet and have people, you know, get give you a million views. And then I'm like, so they can sit at home in their underwear. And I'm like, oh, my God. You know, it's like, God, I mean, God, God bless people that can make a living doing that. But I don't think I would want to. You know, spend a lot of uh, quality time, you know, with people that, that do things like that. So, I mean, I think, you know, being a, a dad, you know, even I have, you know, strong, athletic, healthy kids that are in competition a lot. But I mean, you know, they get sucked into games that, you know, I didn't know they put on their laptop. And I'm like, what are you doing? Your homework was done an hour ago. It's like, oh, I'm playing, you know, I was like, oh, my God, you know, so I mean, it creeps in. So uh, and that, you know, seeking out things like physically that make you stronger or mentally uh, are something we have to, you know, constantly, I think, battle, you know, these days more than, you know, we had to deal with when we were kids, unfortunately, so.
0: Uh, yeah, absolutely, and, you know, th- so, you know, here's the thing with the YouTube thing, I'm glad you'd said that, because I'm online a whole bunch, and, man, have I learned um, how to scale online, and what really goes into it, the, the one of the, the problem, you know, so it's not all bad, right? So one of the problems is, is what you're seeing is just like the instant success of people. Yeah. Um, you never see what went into getting them there or we are watching the people that just popped real quick because yeah, that, yeah. that does happen, but that's not the norm. Um, and, and the problem is then we start to think that's how we can do it. And what happens is when we bump into it, ad- here's the problem, when they bump into adversity, they think something's wrong and, th- and then they stop. So they can't figure it out. With that?
2: They so said they can't navigate it because they, if it comes too easy, you know they, they've never had to, uh, you know, deal with that adversity. So it makes it more difficult to overcome. Instead of the people that, you know, kind of came through adversity and built themselves up, similar to like the billionaire kid, you know, uh, or, you know, uh, if their dad was a billionaire, the chances of them being as successful or more, you know, you see time and time again, it rarely ever happens, you know, because they've been given too much in a lot of cases. But you know, if you're the one that, you know, had to earn your way through that then you know you can overcome things.
0: Yes, absolutely. So they, they, they didn't build the skill or capacity, and they missed the marker. You know what I mean? So yeah. if, you're, if you want to be a big YouTuber, I'm like, go for it. But when things get hard and start to seem impossible, for me, and you need others, and you need to train, I'm like, for me, that's the marker of that I'm onto something. That, that's how God tells me I'm onto something. He's like, okay, here comes the heat. You know what I mean? Because sure. if you're going to be a, a famous YouTuber, I'm going to make sure you build character, stamina, tenacity. You know what I mean? I'm going to make sure yeah, you yeah. build stuff on the way. And then what happens is that I, I think this is a, it's either in my webinar or it used to be. I'm like, the problem is is people run into that, and the very thing that was an indicator that they were on the right track or, or in in the profile of success is the thing that has them turn away because they thought what was supposed to happen is they were supposed to Cute TikTok video. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then they were, and it was done. And then when that doesn't happen, they turn away and I'm like, oh, it's a great thing. What a great thing to learn how to get popular on YouTube and make money. Boy, if you get good at that, whoa, even if that ran out, boy, the skill set you'd have would be incredible going on in life, but they stop too soon.
1: I like the way that you tie in the idea. You clearly have a growth mindset. We've interviewed lots of folks, and this has been a central theme of the WFO Live podcast where we talk a lot about growth mindset, positivity. But what's interesting and very powerful about what you're bringing forward is that you have a, and I know this from personal experience working with you, a powerful set of tools, life tools. And we sort of danced around and through and over the concept of negotiating complexity in life is just, but that's just one theme that's covered there is we're getting, you know, we're kind of getting near the end here. We'll start wrapping. I want to, I want to talk about your current work, Eric. I want to talk about, you know, I was with you with the strategic training group, which is a very small exclusive kind of group where we, we kind of mind melted and, and did, you know, online work and then met for these big excursions. Tell us about how you're sharing these tools with others now because I think that's very key. There's I right now I'm already in my head I'm ticking off dozens of people that I think, you know, in in my immediate circle like, yeah, Eric's doing this and he's doing it on a wide scale. He's he's reaching more people with this. How do you do that? Talk to us about that.
0: Um I'll just kind of describe my funnel actually yeah. because <laughs> So here's the thing. Um anyone looking to do any kind of any kind of business actually, but especially online, um how this is what I, the most beautiful thing I ever learned about business was from an organization called the Aji Network. And I remember one day, I'm like, oh my gosh, the way you make money is by helping people, um, you know, take care of bad things in their life and capture good. Like, I was like, this was right. for me, mission based, coming out of the military, I'm like, this is amazing. And I'm like, and, and they taught me, like, hey, if you want to make more money, be of more help. And that's why my mission is settled on helping people discover their purpose and live it. I'm like, okay, I can't think of anything bigger. So um, how I learned to do that, how they taught me to do that is to become a trusted source of value, which means I am a reliable source of something that can help protect them from bad and capture the good. I mean, I'm oversimplifying. So what I did is I produced a webinar. And on that webinar, I basically, here's the best stuff I have. And if you connect with me on the you know, this is the thing I advertise online, like I this is the thing I do. And it's like you come onto this thing and spend about an hour, you are going to walk away with the keys to the kingdom. For the fundamental formula, how I learned to train snipers, like guys like Chris, Kyle, and Marcus Luttrell, and how I learned to pivot into living a life of purpose and passion. And then at the end of that I make them an offer. And I say, You could either take your notes and use that stuff or you can come join me and do it with me and my tribe, and so what I have for my tribe is I took everything that I so the build the the, the group you're talking about the strategic training group the, for everyone on the call that is elite business professionals performing already performing at an extremely high level that we I spent a year with these seven guys, and what there is now is there is a course that everything that we went through there is a course that's, that is the best, you know what I mean? I wrote it. You know, when you sit down and write it, it's like, okay, this is it. This is everything I've ever touched, focused in the ability to get people or to have people produce their purpose and passion and live it out. And then what I do is I meet with them twice a week. I meet with the entire group live twice a week and basically answer their questions. And when they're, So they're traveling through adversity, which means there's things that are stopping them, and that's where the real work gets done. Um, so, I have the online course that I augment it with this tribe membership, and then they have a Slack channel where people can communicate and go back and forth. And here's the thing so I could pragmatically take somebody through life, start building their power, purpose, passion, time, energy, money, creativity, all that stuff. But here's what's cool about, I, I think, the coolest part about what I do is that's like a course outline. But where the good stuff comes from is when somebody has it on their calendar to do something like workout, spend time with their kids or go to bed, like, like I've skinned it, right? We outlined and blueprinted life for them, but sure. the real work happens when it's right there. They have the time, it's on their calendar and they can't do it. And that to me mm-hmm. is when we get down to the real human stuff. And mm-hmm. that's why I like doing the live coaching on the calls because I can talk to someone and they're like, hey, I'm running into this and I could just tear into them and be like yep. all right let's unpeel this thing because it what really the hard part isn't to identify all the elements of a life and assess it prioritize it and put it in your calendar to execute the hard part is when you bump into the things that you know you ought to do and you just can't pull yourself you can't bring yourself to do it
2: right they're that's not. like real human. That's real humanity right there, right? That's like you know, like you said, it's like getting to the real stuff. It's like okay, let's unpack like why you couldn't do that because that's where the gold is, right? I mean, not not necessarily. It's like when you fail a little bit, you know, uh, unpacking that with people. I could see how that would, you know, like you talked about earlier, um, you know, build some power, you know, back into their lives uh, by you know figuring out what happened.
0: Absolutely. And that's what I love about using this map. So if you use the map, it's got all the big pieces of life. Then it, then it, then it has a sub piece, impact parts and practices. But then I can open up the practices and go impact parts and practices. And then I can open up those, you know, I can go down. So it is humane. It's incredible humanity. Um, what surprises people coming from a seal is it's packed with, lo- it's all generated from love. So when a human being runs into something that they know they ought to do. There's an incredible amount of despair and the dignity is pressed. And we all know all the fallout that comes from that. And what I love about this the approach that I've been now doing forever is it's like it's okay. We don't have to take that piece down. I can break this down a thousand more times. I infinitely, I could, we, you know what I mean? We could infinitely break this thing down until we get it. And as we're doing it, those little tiny pieces, every part of your life is going to continue to get better. So it's time well spent. And I, oh, I, as a, you know what I mean? Like this, like what's in it for me, that's what's in it for me. When you can take someone and move them across an impassable field and do it in a way that they actually enjoyed and do it in a way that, that helped other areas of life
1: as well. Eric, I can, I can echo that because I definitely followed and still follow the map. And I used many of the daily processes to plan my days and to constantly reflect back on the map. And I can tell you exactly what you're saying is extremely true. The harder the problem, the further you break that down and you just spend that time to break that problem down, you start to come up with little solutions. You start to have an A or B choice of a behavior. And then what happens is you can say, well, this seems like this behavior would make this whole category, this whole broken red area would make it better. And so I'm gonna start taking this action. And then once that happens, it sort of snowballs. And then you get to the place where that whole criteria, that whole fundamental part of your life is green again, or it's at least back whole again and then you can move on and you can look at other things. I think this has been super powerful. Um, and I, again, I, I, I'm a big fan of your work and, and it impacted me dramatically at a time when I needed it in my life. And so if there's people that listen to our program and there's a lot of folks in the same lane that are trying to improve their lives, and, and we talk to people that are struggling a lot, and it's funny, it's not funny, but as a physician, I see the problems that people have sort of behind the curtain, if you will. And they're almost always the same. And Eric, I think that's what you hit on with your program is that everyone has the same issues. And people and, and sometimes I think without the community aspect that you've created and that that people should be involved in, what happens is you don't realize you can sort of fool yourself and you you become lulled to the idea that your problems are unique and that makes them have more power over you. And I, I just really feel that's something that people need to know. And if they're looking, if any of this resonated with them, I think they should definitely, um, you know, you know, contact you or, or you know, take your webinar. It's a free webinar where you give away the king <laughs> kingdom, so to speak. And uh, I think it's worthwhile for anyone to dip their toes into that. Before we wrap up, I want to, you know, uh, you know, Chris, any any final thoughts? And I'm going to give Eric the last word on everything.
2: I was just going to say, Eric, I had a blast talking to you, uh, you know, like we assumed we could probably talk for hours and I look forward to, you know, um, meeting up with you and sharing a beer when that's uh, socially acceptable again. So appreciate you coming on.
0: Absolutely. Chris. Yeah. I'd look forward to it as well. Um, absolutely.
1: Thanks, Eric. What's the best way? Um, what, what is the primary way you'd like people to contact you? Is it your Eric Davis, 215.com? Is that the best way to, you know, enter, you know, into the webinars and to get in touch with you?
0: Yeah, yeah, ericdavis215.com. And like right now, my homepage is the webinar registration. Okay. Um, and there's papers and stuff on there. I'll, like, if anyone wants an impactful anything, get on the webinar. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, it's free, and I really, like, everything we're talking about producing power through your actions and stair-stepping it into the, you know what I mean? The next thing it's, it's all on there. I mean, I'll move quick. Um, but you'll see it all. You'll see it all. And at the end, I'll give you an opportunity to join me, um, as well too.
1: Excellent. Thank you so much, brother. Uh, we appreciate you coming on the show and I think, uh, this interview was excellent impactful for people, tons of pearls mixed in. And so we'll wrap it there.
0: Right on. Thanks, Thanks Bill. Appreciate it.